Hello and welcome to Publish Me, a monthly podcast series from the AS21 Podcast Network where we explore the publishing process of the fantasy epic The Will of the Magi. I'm your host, Keith F. Shovlin, publisher and chief creative of AS21. And with him, as always, is Paul Dickinson Russell, the author of The Will of the Magi, and our always wonderful illustrator. Hi, I'm Rana. I'm the book cover artist for Will of the Magi. And. A mystery guest, <laughs> otherwise known as Editor-in-Chief Corey Parker of AS21 Publishing. Excellent. All right, thank you. Welcome to Chapter 25 of the Publish Me Podcast, April 2017. Although lately I've heard it should only be 2017. Don't think of 2017 as so pompous as to get the thousand. <laughs> and this is another wonderful update episode from the Publishing Podcast. Our guest today is Editor-in-Chief Corey Parker. We're going to be discussing where we are in the editing process. Rana will be talking about where she is in the cover design process. Paul will give us an update on where the beta readers are. And I'll give you an update on various other things that are happening. So... To start us off, Paul, what's going on? All right. So today we did get some very wonderful updates from our two amazing people here tonight. We got an update from Corey. We got an update. So it's a, been a great day for all these excellent things tonight. And I'll let both of them share their wonderful news, you know, because I don't want to steal their limelight too much. Yeah, don't, don't. Uh, we have them on a show for a reason, Paul. You don't have to speak for them. So exactly, you know, yeah. I, I'm the I'm the strong, silent type. I just <laughs> sit back and let other people do everything else. <laughs> hey, you wrote the book, so you did the hard part to start. But yeah. uh, do you have any updates from any of your beta readers, though? No, there. I haven't had any further updates. Several. They all. Most of them have progressed to segment two. You know, the second third of the book, yeah. and that's all I've heard in the last two weeks. So wow. it's whenever I ask them, it's, you know, it's how, how things are going. They're like, I'm working on it. I'll be back. You know? <laughs> I was like, <Wow>. okay, <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> in other words, get off our backs already. We're doing this for free. <laughs> yeah. It's not, yeah. I'm not like, it's not like I'm paying them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I do buy some of them food, but, you know, it's not the same thing. No. No, unfortunately not. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. Okay, so now let's go over to Rana. Well, today I emailed both Keith and Paul the tentatively completed cover design. (laughs) I've been tweaking it all week and i'm like if i keep playing with this i'm gonna ruin it and i'm just gonna drive myself crazy so just jesus take the wheel let's go (laughs) Um, (laughs) the entire time i was working on it i'm just like i need an art director (laughs) so you know i kind of like asked around some of my artist friends and some of my uh old classmates from college for some feedback and i got some okay feedback of many of them just said hey this is nice and i'm like Yes, and? <laughs> <laughs> That's always the best feedback to get. It's like, well... That's yeah. all. <laughs> but, you know, I will say, as the author of the book, I like it a lot. 
as I told you in the email, let me just email again. My email is very simple. That's gorgeous. <laughs> you know, I, I it's I, a great cover it, piece of art. I love it. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you like it at least. I yes. hope everybody else does too. Now, of course, the image you set up to say is without the wording on it. It's just the base image itself. And you, in the past, you've sent us something with a mock-up of the title and author's name on it. So, But we have this stunning image of... What is this actually called, Paul? This stone? It's the stone monolith. The stone monolith. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Which is seen earlier in the book than <laughs> later in the book. I'll leave it there. I don't want to spoil anything. No spoilers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. My elevator music doesn't make I spoil it. Okay. okay, so basically, yeah, now we're just doing the slight fine tuning and we will be sharing this image with the larger audience for both uh, those who have supported the Indiegogo campaign and the AS21 audience. Officially, we'll release it next Wednesday. So that'll be this coming Wednesday, the 12th, April 12th. If you want to get it early, sign up for the AS21 email at as21.com or facebook.com slash AS21, and you'll be able to get a look at the cover art when we first announce it there. And for those of you that donated to the Indiegogo for the cover art print, now that we have the cover art, we'll be doing the printouts and hopefully get those out sometime in the next couple weeks. So those that donated just for the cover art, they'll be able to get those, we'll be able to get those shipped out to them. I think we're a month ahead of schedule on that, so that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I, I am saying I am loving this image because I'm already imagining it on a paperback and on a hardcover book, mm-hmm. and that's just pretty. <laughs> you know, that's a it's a really nice thing to picture, <laughs> and it's my book, so it makes me even happier. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm having I'm having that giddy little child moment right now. I really didn't expect to have that. <laughs> But, but that's what you should have. You're the author, and your book is finally coming together. All of your dreams are coming alive. And we that's have... a terrifying thought, actually. <laughs> I was angsting so hard making that cover. I'm just like, oh my god, I'm doing the thing for reals this time. People are going to actually buy this. What? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I read the yeah, Lovecraft, so dreams coming to life is never a good thing if you read Lovecraft. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> yes, please don't let this book cover turn into Cthulhu. <laughs> well, I mean, with the way things are going in the world these days, that might be an improvement. Yeah, yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> yeah, we won't. Moving on, moving on. Sorry. Yes, okay. <laughs> All right, and before we get to Corey's update, we'll just go over a couple things. So, of course, thank you for listening to us. You can find our podcast on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, YouTube, TuneIn, and media.as21.com. You can reach out to us at facebook.com slash publishpodcast, on Twitter at publishpodcast, or email us publishpodcast at as21.com. That's A-O-I-S-21.com. Plus, if you visit our webpage, media.as21.com, each one of our episodes is a blog post there with a comment section. So feel free to like us, comment, share, rate, belittle, detest, whatever you feel. We're glad to hear it. All right, and now, without further ado, to our guest today, Corey Parker. Hey. Yes, so, uh, yeah, I finished segment one, finished reading it tonight on the way home from work, and it's actually the second time that I've read these first ten chapters. First time was, I don't remember when exactly, sometime last year, 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember. It seems to me there are some slight differences, all of them positive, I think. And it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what's changed, but I think you're headed in the right direction, Paul. So. Excellent. I'll start reading segment two tomorrow. Sounds good to me. I'd like to hear it. <laughs> yeah, Corey, you were last on last March. So that was when you did your first reaction, having read those first few chapters. So it was a year ago plus. Okay, wow. Yeah. It took yeah, a while. So... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you had to finish the book, and then you were doing it with the beta readers. and yeah. yep. But now things are moving. Now, does no. Corey now have segment two? I do. Yep. Okay. So now you have the first, what, 30 chapters? Or... Yep. Okay. First 30 chapters. Out of a total of, what was it, 48 you told me? About 45, actually. 45. All right. So, yeah, you definitely yes. have a full two-thirds of the book, so... Yep. Progress. Does anyone know how thick this book is going to be when it's printed? Uh-oh. No, not yet. Well, I mean, here's a really good idea based upon what we've seen with word counts from like George R. R. Martin and those types. If you mm-hmm. drop this book on a small animal, you will not have the small animal anymore. <laughs> I, I think that's the route we've gone. <laughs> I was about to say, could you use this book as a bludgeoning weapon? Yes. Yes. You could use this okay. bludgeon, definitely small bird, annoying yappy dogs, potentially medium-sized dogs as well. Small children absolutely could definitely be knocked unconscious with this book, if thrown properly by a good parent. <laughs> a good parent? I, I, I don't... Your your definition of good parenting and my definition of good parenting seem to be very different, Paul. Uh, that's true. <laughs> and as you know, I, I, you know, I do know a couple parents who you know they throw the flip flop, the sandal, or as what's the comedian George Lopez? He's like the flying chunkla. So me, I I do know some of those parents. So I don't know. Flip-flop, heavy book, I don't know. If it gets hit by a book, you might learn something. At the very least, you could do you could use it as a weight for some weightlifting, build those yeah. strong oh, yeah. Any Any nerdy child who reads my book will develop upper arm strength, the likes of which only football players know of. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Don't, don't buy expensive weightlifting sets. Buy two copies of Paul's book. Then you have one in each hand as you do the bicep curls, you can do your triceps. Put it on your back while you're doing push-ups. You know, get in shape with the help of Paul's book. <laughs> Hardcover, of course. You know. mm-hmm. <laughs> now, it is going to get slightly skinnier once I get to the line editing and <clears throat> delete some repetitive phrasing and stuff like that, but not significantly. So right. it will still mm-hmm. be a tone. All right. That sounds good to me. <laughs> we'll trim the fat, but we'll leave the good steak meat on. Yeah, that, that's what we hope, at least. <laughs> so now, Corey, so you're not going to start doing the full line editing until you have the entire thing, right? That's or, right, yeah. Okay. I want to read through it first and, you know, make sure I have it all in my head. And it's easier for me to catch things if I go through it a second time also after I've read it once. and It's just better to have read it twice and then edit it, I think. At least for me, that's my process. Right. Well, it's a process that's worked very well for you over the years, so and why change it now? So, well, Especially with fiction, because I don't have as much experience editing fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, edit nonfiction articles for my day job, and that's what I'm used to. 
So this is a little more challenging, but also a hell of a lot more interesting, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I'm really enjoying it. Well, this is the kind of stuff you tend to read just for your own enjoyment, right? I do. Yep. Every day of the year. <laughs> Who Are you reading anyone in this genre right now that you're drawing like, some inspiration from on how to do this? Um, not anyone in particular. I finally finished that Neil Stevenson book, that 1,200-page monster. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> but it was good. It was, it was really good. Nice. That's really the only large doorstop-sized fantasy book I've read in a while. Okay. But I do read a lot of short fiction, actually a lot more than novels these days. So as far as drawing inspiration and how to go about approaching it, I don't know. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, I, I've read, I've read pretty widely in the field since, well, really over the past, I'd say 15 to 20 years. And I'm not really current with a lot of new novelists. I'm more current with the new short story writers than I am with full-time novelists. Okay. But I still feel like I have a pretty good grasp of this kind of genre. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty comfortable in it. You know, I know all the tropes and, uh, you know, I'm used to magical systems, reading about that, that <laughs> kind of thing. So nothing has really tripped me up so far. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if I start confusing the editor, then I have a problem. Well, I did have a couple of questions. I think I emailed about them, mm-hmm. emailed you about them earlier. Yep. Uh, I thought yep. these are things I didn't really pick up on the first time I read it a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of noticed it just in the past week or so reading this first segment. The first of them is I've noticed that Aiden doesn't have any friends his own age. Mm-hmm. No other boys in the village, which is kind of a prominent feature of a lot of other epic fantasies. Yep. And you think of the Eye of the World, for example. Yep. He's got his two best friends when he leaves the village. Yep. So I have a couple thoughts as to why that might be, but I was interested if you did that on purpose and, and what your reasoning was. So that was very much a very deliberate choice on my part. And I do know that in the past, people have commented. I know some of my beta readers commented on this when we brought them on, Lisa Megan Lacey and Vanessa, that, you know, he does seem older than I do portray him to be. And again, both of those are a little bit more deliberate because of the fact that he's had to grow up a lot faster than everyone else his own age. You know, I'm quite clear that he does, he is using his magic from a very young age and he is being educated by the various adults in the village. So he doesn't really have any free time at any point in his life to be a child. So that really would hinder developing friendships with the people your own age, the boys and girls your own age, especially when in the segment of society he's in, his talents, he's committing a crime being who he is just by living. He's committing a crime, which, you know, again, that's something I'm also very fairly clear about, I think, that he is going against imperial law just by using magic. So everyone is under threat by having him around. So not only does he have no time to make friends, but also at the same time, he's dangerous. He's dangerous to be around. And while he does provide a useful service to the village, very few mothers and fathers I know of would want their children being with someone, playing with someone who could potentially get their children killed. 
through no action of his own, just because, you know, someone happened to be nearby who saw, like, oh, I have to go kill him, and, you know, <laughs> the children are caught in the fallout. On the other like hand, I, just, I feel like everyone in his village is, like, 100% committed to, like, taking care of him and protecting him, and, like, nobody in the village seems to have an actual problem with his powers, because, you know, he is so useful to them. So, like, that strikes me as a little bit odd, based on what you're saying. Well, so, at the same time, you know, I will, you know, these are small details I, I have no problem revealing. You also, you know, I think it was very clear that there is no real seeing of the other children in the village. With what I, the way I've written it, the reader only really sees, again, him interacting with the adults in the village. You know, there is that breakaway that the adults have from they are willing to put themselves at risk. But again, you know, you don't really see the children so much in the village until later on. You know, when, it, you, that's when very, you do, they're, they're clearly in awe of him and they just kind of get out of his way. Right, exactly. And then that's the end of the interaction. Right, exactly. So you have someone, it's the same thing, whereas if you look at classic nobility in medieval Europe, if the local lord rides through the village every you know even if it's a young prince a young kid all the other kids are going to be like "Ooh, i can go play with that person no they're not really going to think that they're going to say "Ooh, bow down you know this is an important person so the other children have been doing that because they've been seeing him not as a child to play with they're seeing him as someone keep my distance from him he is an important person And if you are, you know, a downbeaten, you know, frontier village peasant, even the important people of your area, those are people you stay away from. And especially if they have talents beyond the scope of your mere weak mortal mind, you know, and the ability of using magic is such a talent. Cool. Okay. I gotcha. sense to me. So the other thing I wondered about was, and you do make this sort of clear, that the goblins and humans cannot understand each other. Mm-hmm. They have different languages. Um, it just seems to me, wouldn't there be some human or some goblin somewhere who can communicate so with the other? They, At least in terms for spying purposes or nothing else. So, a Sacagawea um, of the goblins, as it were. <laughs> right. So I don't really cover this in the book, so this is a question I'm sure other readers will come up with and ask. There actually is a cast of goblin who do know how to speak in the tongues of the other sentient races, um, as it were. Um, I'm sorry? Sorry, I thought I heard something. So... Uh, this other cast of goblin, they do learn the other languages, they do infiltrate other societies to learn about them, but it actually comes from a birth stigma, and they're actively born into this role. So if you think of caste systems around the world, um, like the Indian caste system, you have the, uh, I believe the caste, the term is the untouchables in India, uh, Anyone listening, forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, I don't have all those notes right in front of me at the moment. Um, that is an idea about them. They are they do serve a very important role in the society. 
So they are on a slightly different level of that caste system than that caste in India. But at the same time, the goblins who serve that role, they are other. They aren't viewed as truly integral parts of the goblin society. So when goblins need to do something more than simply kill somebody, they find one of those goblins to act as the go-between. But they don't hold them in esteem. They don't really... The average goblin won't hold them in esteem. They won't hold them to any active higher role. Although, ironically enough, the leaders of the goblin societies privately do hold them in high esteem. Because they know that in order for the goblin race to advance itself, they need these goblins. Mm -hmm. But working past the stigmas that they are, the goblin society is very slowly adapting to it. Again, this isn't really active knowledge in what you see in the novel and the story. That background culture information that, you know, the writer needs just to keep in the back of his head, you know. So it's the complicated workplace politics of goblin lifestyle. Right. uh, These goblins are kind of like tech support. Nobody really wants to like them, but they're a very integral part of the system. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> act- I was just wondering because, uh, well, just in general, I was wondering, but also because I thought that Aiden might be able to, it seems like he can see a long way with his magic. I was wondering if maybe he could hear as well. But if he doesn't understand the goblins, as you did make clear in the book, yeah, then uh, it wouldn't really help him much. Yeah. Aiden has absolutely no ability to understand or speak goblin. There are some humans... uh, He's not perfect. No, he's absolutely not perfect. (laughs) Can we get him the Rosetta Stone course on that? (laughs) Well, so uh, this is another thing about goblins. They can make verbal noises, but the goblins in my world are much more akin to ants when it comes to communication techniques. They're actively much more of a pheromone-producing species. So they communicate with each other, I should say, via sense and mild telepathy. So that's one... So that's one of the key things about the goblin species on their own. And the reason, you know, so they make noises when they're fighting, but they only noises that they've learned to make that intimidate their enemies, you know. Now, the reason why the other goblins have this caste system for the ones that can communicate with humans is because those goblins have evolved to the point of being able to speak. And they have the information is being passed down through this secondary sub-race of goblins through the hive mind of that particular sub-race. Are, how okay, how lost have I? How much have I lost everybody right now? No, that's that's actually really helpful because I was. <laughs> I was having, what? What? I'm oh, sorry. What? Oh, <laughs> I was reading this thinking of Lord of the Rings style goblins, and that's uh, yeah, this is totally different. It's, I do love the idea of <laughs> goblins because they are pretty much in every single fantasy race fantasy story they're Mm -hmm. everywhere but again i also want to make them fairly unique and again this is stuff that the readers won't really see because i don't want people to see that aspect of the goblins very early on i want people picturing your classic old goblin all right i hate the goblin i stab the goblin i leave the goblin alone with my story i don't humanize any of those particular enemies until much later on and even then the humanization aspects are very very I'm going to say odd because of the role that I have goblins playing in the world. 
and I'll leave it there so you will get there in the third segment of the book. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yep. Thank you. That's oh, very helpful, actually. So just a quick question. Which is the scarier goblins? The goblins in your story or Willem Dafoe in the first Spider-Man movie? Oh, God. So William Defoe is just terrifying in and of himself. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and he has explosives. Yes. Well, as, as Weird Al so p- perfectly put it, he's wearing the dumb Power Rangers mask, but he's scarier without it on. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hmm. That's, the, that's a tough question. Because I was always a fan of the Green Goblin and of the Hobgoblins. So, <laughs> I don't know. But, but I do like my goblins. Plus, my goblins are telepathic. Sort of. Oh. Yeah, I was about to ask, like, in your world, is telepathy a thing? Nope. Or, like, mind reading? Nope. Telepathy is absolutely not a thing. It's only a thing for the goblins. And gotcha. the goblins really aren't smart enough as a species to really figure out how good they have it. <laughs> because the fact that the goblins have a race have been pushed off to the frontier of everywhere, and... They kind of just eke out an existence that really sucks for them. And they haven't been able to figure out how really good they have it because all they do is prey upon the few people they can on the frontiers, and that's it. They really haven't figured out that if they wanted to, if if they could strategize a little bit, they could do a whole lot. But that could all change eventually. Who knows? Hmm. So how would you characterize the interaction between... Aiden and this mysterious person in the sky after he encounters the monolith. Aha, that character. So, (laughs) (laughs) I can hear you rubbing your fingertips together and (laughs) So, that is a... Is that more akin to like a dream communication than... The interaction with the sky person would be a combination of dream sequence, and if magic could cause psychedelic mind screwiness, I guess would be a really good way to put it. Like, if you took some mushrooms or something, and combine that with the dream sequence, and have it be a quasi-religious experience, (laughs) that would be a really good way to put that. But doesn't that count as telepathy, though? (laughs) No, it doesn't. That's where I was going, Your Honor. Thanks. So the reason why it doesn't count as telepathy is as where it's taking place. Telepathy in this world, purely a mental exercise. What he's experiencing is a lot more on the spiritual with his soul. Okay. All right. So, you know, there's, again, very, very small differences here, but they are there. (laughs) He's also unconscious when he has these contacts, too, I think, right? Right. He is unconscious when he has that contact, yeah. When I was developing those particular scenes, and I was developing the goblins and a few other parts, I was really, really into studying the hive mind capabilities of ants, which is where a lot of that came from. (laughs) Hmm. I have a thing for bugs and reptiles, so yay oddities among writers. (laughs) Okay. Can we expect some lizard monsters in segment three? Yeah, actually. (laughs) The sort of lizard monsters. All right. Like troglodytes. Spoiler alert, you will see some <laughs> trolls. Like the sea stand? Okay. It just, if you watch the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies, not those type of trolls. <laughs> okay. I will say that much. Are they like Terry Pratchett? 90s toy trolls. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, will, no. will there be singing and dancing? I need to know this. <laughs> 
I'm not good at writing music, so definitely right. no singing. Dancing? I mean, if you count using weapons against other living sentient beings as dancing, then yes. <laughs> if you count that as violence, like most of us do, then no. Oh, see, now we're getting it. If you've ever watched Japanese Samurai, then you'll be like, they are the same thing. Yeah, now now we're getting into a sort of existential crisis on there. Let's not go there. That's all I do is I yeah. cause existential crisis in other people and I go, let the fun begin. Oh, that's the last thing we need to do is dive into that. I think you know, Rana put a stop to that last month. I'm putting a stop to it this month. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I get paid to do this. So oh, I'm paying you that. <laughs> Oh, it's my day job. Oh, okay. Right. I must educate children. Thus, I must give them an existential crisis. Boom. Ah, yeah. Teach them about the bootstrap paradox. You'll have them busy for hours. <laughs> Excellent. So, Corey, uh, do you have any more questions for me? <laughs> Those were the two main ones. Oh. Yeah, and then the third. Okay. Sprouting for what? Yeah, those are my main ones for now. I'm sure I will have more after Sigma 2. Yeah, you will. <laughs> I'm going to be like, yeah, you're going to have a lot of questions. So <laughs> feel free to ask me all the questions, and I'm pretty sure I'll have answers to almost all of them. <laughs> so we're just going to go ahead and say this right now. Corey's going to be back on the show in two months, and hopefully we'll have more questions, more answers, and a better idea of where we're going on this. Well, hopefully, two months we better be, I would hope. But Hopefully. Yeah. Paul, did you give your beta readers any kind of a, a deadline? Or did you just, are you just encouraging them to... I tried giving possible? them deadlines, and <laughs> I got yelled at. <laughs> two of them hit me. So, not really that hard, but still, you know, it's the active motion of being hit that, you know, I was like, okay, I'll stop asking questions now. <laughs> nice. nice. And those are the ones who like me the best. Well, obviously they were close enough that they could actually make contact, you know, physical contact. I mean, Right, you know, this is one of the reasons why I like having people in other states, you know, they can't hit me as hard. Yeah, that's true. For those that don't realize, Paul and I have still not met in person, though we've been doing this podcast for over two years now, so any chance I would have had to, you know, strangle or throttle him over this past time, it has, has not come to pass, so. <laughs> oh, where are you? Me? I'm in Jersey. Ah! Yeah, I'm a dirty Yankee. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we, Keith and I, both met Rana. Yes, but not Paul. Right. <laughs> I like how this works. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've definitely met Rana at least once because you because yeah. I met you at Gaithersburg two was it two years ago or was that last year? No, it was two years ago. Two years we ago. met the it was it was a book festival. Yeah, yeah, it was Gaithersburg two years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one was a very fruitful festival for making good connections. So. As opposed to last year's Gaithersburg, where it was rainy and miserable all day long. Oh, yeah. That's the one I went to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was cold. Yeah. Hopefully the weather will be better this year. Okay, so it's time to wrap it up. This is not that lengthy of an episode, but we're mainly focusing on the updates because I had a question asked after last month's episode about you know, what the actual purpose of this podcast was. And for those that are listening, it should be pretty clear we're we're putting out a book here and we're <laughs> including you in this process. So I sometimes we have guests and sometimes we don't. That's just a case where, I mean, Corey is our guest, but he's our guest as part of 
the updates on this, on the process of making this book a reality. We now have a cover design, and we'll, we're fine-tuning the final details. We have a written book. We have the beginnings of the, the full editing process going on. We know who we'll be printing with. We know the basics of a marketing strategy coming together. So there's a lot more stuff that'll come together over the next few months. Uh, we've got financial support of people doing pre-orders and the Indiegogo campaign that are helping make this possible. We've got a lot that's come together. So we were grateful for everyone that's helped out so far, everyone that's contributed, everyone that has been listening, everyone that's been responding in some way, some shape, some form, whether it's, you know, talking to Paul directly or yelling at me loudly on the street. There was only one guy, though. And it might have been Paul. I don't know. No, it wasn't Paul. <laughs> Who knows? It might have been me. I'm a very loud person. <laughs> well, I haven't been up in Jersey in a long time, and I don't know if you... Well, no, you've been down here briefly, but I don't think you've been down in the D.C. area, right? Not in a while. Yeah. The last time I was down in that area was before we met and started talking. Okay. All right, so that's definitely been a few years now. Okay, well, thank you all for joining us. This has been Chapter 25 of the Publish Me Podcast, the uh, editing and cover design update episode. And this is April 2017. Coming up this month, we have the Kensington Day of the Book coming up on Sunday, April 24th in Kensington, Maryland. Woohoo! We'll be out in force once again. I don't Corey might be joining me. I don't know if Corey will be. I should be. I should be here that weekend. Okay. And Rana said she would be joining us, so that would be fantastic. We'll have a tent, and we'll have uh, various tables set up. We'll be promoting our podcast series, our books, our authors, various other things going on. We are now at eight podcast series from AS41. Our eighth series, I Stand, is an interview series. We'll be launching officially in May. It's hosted by Michael B. Judkins, who was on this podcast a couple months ago to discuss virtual book tours. So he has decided to try his own hand at doing his own series. He's interviewing creative and fascinating people, and he'll be sharing that. It'll be a limited run podcast, only seven episodes, so we're going across the four weeks of May, and then one episode a month for June, July, and August, and that's being produced in partnership with Judkins' Oct 14 publishing company. Then, of course, we encourage you to check out any of the other great AS21 podcast titles on the network. Go to media.as21.com, and they're all listed there. Uh, otherwise, we'll be back next month on May 7th, which is actually one day before AS21's third birthday, and we will be celebrating that birthday with a birthday celebration on Saturday, May 13th at Walls of Books in Washington, D.C. from 5 to 7 p.m. We'll have a number of creatives come out and we'll also have some of our podcast hosts and we'll be doing a live stream. We'll be making announcements. We'll be having performances. We'll have food for the people that are attending and enjoying a wonderful time at Walls of Books. And speaking of Walls of Books, the theme of next month's podcast, we don't have the guest lineup specifically, but we will be talking about bookstore events, what goes into planning it, what type of events can be held, what makes a good event, what makes a good event fail, those type of things will be our topic of discussion for next month's podcast. So what else everyone have going on April? Paul, what do you got going on? Looking for more jobs. I have the Rethinking the World Government, World Governance essay. Okay. And formalizing some more notes on the next book. Cool. Rana? Uh, I actually should be job hunting as well. 
I got some artwork in my brain that I got to put onto paper or rather onto Photoshop. And I'm probably going to be looking into tabling at various conventions in the area, like depending on if I can afford to table there and if I can get there. I am planning on being at Escape Velocity in September, so I got to plan for that. Very fun. Cool. Those are my goals. Awesome. Corey, what do you got coming up this month? Anything special? Stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) Not a whole lot other than what I'm working on for you. Um, Right. I've got a day job just like everyone else, so it takes up most of my time, unfortunately. It's good in the sense that I'm editing for a living, so it keeps my skills sharp to edit. Right. (laughs) Paul and others. (laughs) So I can be as merciless as... (laughs) <laughs> yes, keyword there, merciless <laughs> Yes, Corey, you can be rather ruthless sometimes <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, though Nothing wrong with it I'm Trying to do it in a nice way, at least Yeah. Alright, well, remember you can find us Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play YouTube, TuneIn, and Media.as21.com Reach out to us, Facebook.com Slash Publish Podcast Tweet to us at Publish Podcast Email us, Publish Podcast at AOIS21.com We'd love to hear anything you want to say Any questions you have for Paul Questions for Rana Questions for Corey We'll take them all also, we want just want to also say a, a quick welcome to AS21, our new chief of audio production. It's actually Cohen. He just started this past week, and he is now taking control of the podcast network and helping me out with doing a lot of the production work. So you may see a difference in quality. That's because Zach's doing a better job than I alone could do, because he actually has experience in doing this stuff and not just figuring it out as he goes along, as I've been doing for the past two years. So. <laughs> You've been doing a lovely job as you have been, sir. Yeah, you're too kind. You're too kind. All right. For AS21 Publishing, I am Keith F. Shovlin. I'm Ron Gaten. I'm. <laughs> Corey Parker. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, I'm Paul Dickinson Russell. Remember, where there are thoughts and ideas, there are stories. Thank you so much. We'll see you next month. Copyright 2017, AS21 Publishing, LLC. All rights reserved. AS21 Publishing. What do you want your book to be?